Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here for the first time ever without Max, our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Nothing, as we discussed uh, before we uh, hit record on this. That's right. We're just winging it. <laughs> um, so the reason that it's just Shane and I for the first bit is because our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, is on the road uh, with Arkells, and he's not here at the moment, but he's going to be calling in. It's funny because without him, normally the structure is you and him chatting away it's true but so we kind of just anticipated we could wing it but without max i do feel a little lost here up the top he's a chatty kathy yeah that being said we are going to be talking to max on the road in a little bit and today on the show we have tj miller which is super exciting once we have max on the phone we're going to be talking a bit about uh what it was like to uh, <laughs> uh interview uh, tj miller uh, shane and myself uh which we'll be getting into but uh yeah anything been going on in your life shane a lot of stuff. Most of it has been uh, related to the digital dessert segments, actually. So okay, we might save that for the setup. Let's save it. All right. Well, I recently went to a uh, Raptors game with my brother, Greg. Heard of him. You've heard of him. You know him Went to high school well. with him. You did go to high school with him. Thoughts on my brother, Greg? He was a very uh, like-minded guy to me. And I would think that he was my, uh, yeah, my best friend in high school. Were you guys popular in high school? I know the answer uh, to these questions, but our listeners don't, maybe. Well, I don't know. I think you might have the idea that I was more unpopular than I was. Because, <laughs> well, I was a year older than Greg, so I was in the grade above him. But I was kind of, I've always been friends with the most popular people in school. So I was in a weird section where I was friends with, there was this guy, uh, Tim Gent, and there was the Leggetts who were probably like ran the school. They were kind of like the, the wealthier, uh, more popular kids like you'd expect in high school. And I was like their really close friend and I was always shooting videos with them or doing the morning announcements with this guy, Bram, who was really popular. And they would ride like, you know, the drop top Mustangs into school and I'd be, <laughs> I'd be with them. So are you sure you're not talking about Beverly Hills? Yeah, exactly. For me, it was kind of, kind of like that. And then, you know, there was this group of uh, popular girls and I was, dating one of them who was in the popular group. Although I was still kind of a weirdo, I would put myself in the category of popular weirdo. Whereas Greg, he was more on the outskirts being a grade lower. He was, I guess, considered more of an outsider just because he, unlike you, Greg's more of an introverted personality. Sure. But I found more common ground with Greg than I did a lot of the popular people. And then obviously Greg kind of blossomed into this like cool dude in his 20s as tends to happen with a lot of people who are kind of outsiders in high school. They kind of find their their footing in their 20s. Well, one of Greg's uh, sort of defining character traits is that he's a bit of a pessimist. Mm -hmm. I don't think he ever thinks anything's going to work out. So we were at this Raptors game. They were playing the Washington Wizards who were like good. And this year, I don't know if listeners have been following along. I'm like a one-fourth season ticket holder. So I've got like 11 games to like bring people to. Shane, I'm bringing mm -hmm. you to the Lakers game in I think January or something like that. I'm pumped. So Greg and I go to this game. First of all, he'd gone out the night before, decided to go out and burn it down till God knows what hour. So I know that I'm going to this basketball game with my brother the next day. And I'm like, oh, is he going to even be in the mood for drinks? I don't know. So the game starts, it's like six o'clock start. He's like, dude, I, uh, I think I'm going to pass on the beers tonight. And I'm like, oh man, he threw it all away Saturday night, which is fine. We've all mm -hmm. done it. But again, I'm taking him to the game for free. You know, I'm not charging him for the tickets. So I'm like, well, I'm still going to go grab a beer. And he's like, cool, man. 
<laughs> so, um, so you might think that Greg might pay for your beer. What's the general rule if somebody takes you to a basketball game? Well, I paid for the tickets. Greg is, to put it nicely, notoriously cheap. Also, <laughs> <laughs> like there was uh, just to digress for a second. There was a story when we were twenty. Uh, Greg and I went to California. And we were going to be on uh, The Price is Right as in, <laughs> yeah. in the audience. But w if you're an audience member, they also do a thing where they kind of double dip. They audition you to see if you're going to be on the show. They give you like a 10-second audition. Like if you're wearing like um, an army base outfit or something, you're more likely to be on the show. So we kind of made a pact going in. If one of us gets on, we will split any of the prizes <laughs> down the middle. <laughs> In the unlikely event that not only are we to get on the show, but are we to win, like, some big grand prize? We all agreed. There, there was uh, six of us on the trip, except for Greg. <laughs> Greg said, I'm not doing it, man. He goes, I'm keeping it for myself. <laughs> he was the one holdout. Yeah. Who wouldn't split his winnings. And we all kind of hated him at that moment, which I'm sure you kind of hated your brother Greg when he wouldn't get you the beer. I was confused. I was just, and then, but I wasn't going to bring it up. So I just kind of, like, quietly bought my own beer. And then we go and sit down. And then so like the first half's happening and it's one of those big beers. So now I'm kind of starting to like kick in. I'm getting into it. I'm being very vocal, you know, yelling at the team to get back on defense. So I guess Greg at this point is like, ah, you know what? He's like, you know, maybe I will have a beer because he starts to get excited. <laughs> so now it's kind of a moment of truth where uh, he's like, where are you at? You want another one? I'm like, yeah, I'd take another one. And then he went out and he got us two big beers. Oh, surprise ending. Okay. Surprise ending. Uh, but sort of what speaks to his pessimism as I what started this story is that uh, throughout the whole thing, he just expects the Raptors to choke it up. Uh, for long-suffering mm -hmm. Raptors fans, they've historically been bad. This has been a good five-year run for them, but they still tend to blow it in big moments or whenever you expect them to so succeed. So do you think Greg is a pessimist or more of like a painful realist? <laughs> it's a great question. Because sometimes, um, you know, I'll send Greg stuff and I, uh, for his approval. Because when, when Greg says something's good, it really does feel good because he can be so honest. Absolutely. So I kind of think he might just be more realistic than a lot of people want to hear. Sometimes when you want to hear that comforting thought, Greg won't necessarily provide it for you. But he's a great guy to go to when you actually want, like, the straight goods on something. Sure, but if you're going through a painful breakup, terrible mm -hmm. brother to have. Yeah, or if you need someone to buy you a beer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the game was a bit of a seesaw, and I was like, Greg, the Raptors— So right off the top, the Raptors were being blown out by 20 points. Greg's like, I knew it. This shit happens all the time. But then the raps would come back and I'm like, you know, I was kind of doing an Instagram story throughout. Like, I'm like, Greg, it's starting to happen. It's starting. He's like, I've seen this show before. And basically at every stop, he just wasn't going to allow himself to start to believe. And then in the end, they got it to like four points and it was really exciting. And then, of course, they ended up losing the game. And Greg sort of, as Greg does, had this very satisfied kind of, you see, man, that's what happens. It's like you get all riled up, you believe in something. And this is how the world always turns out. Now, I guess my question is, one, I do find that kind of endearing in Greg, and I think we all find it pretty funny mm -hmm. that that's kind of his outlook. And, he, I mean, he wins, but by losing. Like, yep. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you, you know, you can't hurt if you never feel. Um, I don't want to live that way, man. I want to believe that mm -hmm. it's going to happen. I, I want to I hope that uh, it, it's all going to work out. Yeah, me too. I kind of... I find, though, you can't really help how you want to live. You either are or you aren't. Right. And I have moments where I'm definitely more of a Greg person than I am a uh, positive person. Yeah. 
Want to call Max? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we made a pact. If there was three seconds of awkwardness, we would call Max. We're doing it. Now is the time to call Max and see how things are going on the road. But hey, listeners, are you an optimist? Or are you a pessimist? Just do you. <laughs> All right. We are now in the studio and calling Max. Hello. Maxie. How's it going, boys? Good. How are you doing, man? I'm in uh, Covington, Kentucky, just across the river from uh, Cincinnati. And I'm in, the, I'm in a courtyard Marriott Hotel. They gave me the, like this meeting room, so it's totally silent. So I'm feeling pretty good. I got, got my act together. You requested the meeting room just to do this pod? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to do it in a hotel room, but then like Mike D was having a shower and Tim was having a shower and Nick was, everyone's having a damn shower. So there's no, no quiet. So I wanted to want to make this as pro as possible. Are you guys still splitting rooms on the road? You know what? We're in a, we're in a bus. So we are driving overnight. So these are kind of just like shower rooms, basically. So no one's actually sleeping in any hotel rooms. What do you mean a shower room? How does that work? Uh, just a hotel room that we use during the day that everyone showers in, but no one, but because the bus leaves at two in the morning after the show, like no one's actually sleeping in a hotel room at night. Do you guys conserve? water. Shane had some concerns about your water conservation. Are you conserving it? <laughs> you know what? Uh, we do take note of, uh, you know, little signs in the bathrooms and we're, we're doing our best to reuse towels when we can, etc. Yes. My implied joke was that you're all showering together, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I missed that, sorry. I missed that one too. Right. Actually. I thought you actually just were environmentally conscious. <laughs> Uh, so tell it. What, what, say, what city were you in again, sir? I'm, I'm a bad host for missing that. No, we're in just in Cincinnati. Uh, the tour has been good, though. We came from Cleveland uh, yesterday, and we were in Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, and Kansas City the day before. So overall, it's been it's been good. The crowds are getting better and better. We had a day off in Cleveland, which was very cool. Actually, in Cleveland yesterday, Nick uh, decided to get a haircut. And if, if anyone knows Nick, Nick is like the least sort of like pampered guy ever he's almost like the most like monk like dude you know like he doesn't want for anything he's not into material goods like when the band started we had to have like i don't know about six months of conversations about the virtues of skinny jeans if you're gonna be a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> like he just didn't quite understand why it was important he's come around but anyway so Nick decided to get a haircut, and I guess this is the closest barber was like an African American barber shop. <laughs> and, Does he and, have a flat uh, top now? He has a flat top. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't quite have a flat top, but the barber I guess asked him if if he wanted to if he was trying to grow a mustache and if he wanted to clean it up. So the mustache is like a very thin, like prince like mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's really delightful, uh, and yeah. So Nick's looking amazing. What else is going on? We uh, playing St. Lewis and we got to hang with our boy Scotty Upshaw who plays for the St. Louis Blues and he gave us tickets to the game they were playing the Leafs and Scotty Upshaw I will say is kind of like the NHL version of me um, he's very gregarious he's like um, no, you know, I shouldn't say it's like me because I'm about to compliment him a lot. And that's going to sound like I, I think really <laughs> highly of myself. <laughs> he's just wonderful. He's exactly like me. Yeah, he's, he's a gregarious, beautiful guy. <laughs> and what I mean to say is that he is, he just is full of sort of joy and affection for everybody. And he was um, saying that, you know, he arranged for our song, Knocking at the Door, to be played in the arena and to like show us on the big screen, which is what happened. But it happened to take place in the second period just before he was about to take a 
um, a face-off against Austin Matthews. And when he heard the song, he was like, oh, man, I want this to keep playing. So he told me he was about to ask the ref for more time so he could change his stick because he was going to make up an excuse that his stick was broken. <laughs> and so he then he said after the game, the coach put on the whiteboard that there are optional workouts after the game if ever anybody wants to get another workout in. And then he said he erased that on the board and said there's a non-optional mandatory uh, concert that everybody has to come to with him, uh, to see the Arkells. And so he brought like half the team to the, the show. Uh, we all hung out afterward. So it was... Uh, it was cool to see a dude like that who's played in the NHL for 13 years, just sort of like really enjoying the fruits of his labor. And like, just like he, he definitely thinks about things outside of hockey, which is kind of refreshing. So shout out to Scotty Upshaw. Uh, but what's going on? Uh, what's going on back home? I miss you guys. Well, I mean, Max, we miss you too. But I guess the biggest thing that's going on is uh, today on the show, we have TJ Miller. That's right. Big American comedy celeb. For our listeners, TJ's on tour right now across Canada doing a stand-up show, but you know him uh, probably most famously from Silicon Valley. Max, you watch Silicon Valley? Of course, yeah. I love Silicon Valley. Do you think the show will uh, uh, will miss him a lot? I think so. Um, but what I'm more interested in is because Shane's Digital Dessert is out, and I don't know the backstory, I want to know you know, what happened in the room that day when you guys were making him feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, first of all, for our listeners, if you haven't uh, seen these, Shane, since basically Coachella has been doing these digital desserts where he does these kind of five minute pieces where he hangs out with uh, someone that's come on the show, uh, whether it was uh, the first one was Melissa Merck and then it was an NBA player, Nick Stauskas, and then most recently, uh, TJ Miller. Shane, what's the impetus of it? And uh, Well, the impetus would be when we were in Coachella, Max says, why don't you make fun of uh, digital celebrities? <laughs> but I guess you wouldn't want it worded that way. But, <laughs> but I, yeah, you know, I think Max, like with love, he wanted me to tease maybe people who were popular on Instagram, etc. So uh, originally it was called uh, Shane's Digital Dessert in the Desert because we were in the desert at the time. Now we've dropped the desert and just call it Shane's Digital Dessert. Yeah. Yeah, I did one actually uh, the day before T.J. Miller. And when I'm writing these, you know, it's pretty intense. I research the artist. I run things by my wife. She sits down. We type it all out. Then we reorder the questions. Then I practice the questions. Then she pretends that she is the uh, interviewee. And then I practice about 15 different scenarios on how the interview could go wrong (laughs) 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 to prepare when it inevitably does. So there was this other artist named Max. Just M-A-X. It uh, doesn't need a last name because I guess there's only really one popular Max in music. So that that was a joke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I caught it. <laughs> uh, I was nervous about that joke. Well, that Max will be on the show in two more episodes. So you'll actually, he will be coming to the show. He's a very popular uh, artist and singer. So a lot of his videos had like 20 million views. He was this very popular guy. So I went in there with this whole game plan. It was almost a rehearsal for the T.J. Miller one. And then this Max guy is so charming and articulate, he really threw me off my game. I had this long intro prepared, and then he kept cutting me off at every second and then interjecting with, like, little witticisms and things. And I was like, holy (laughs) shit, like, this guy's not even TJ Miller, and this guy's kind of kicking my ass verbally. (laughs) I better really change my game plan for the TJ Miller one. So I go back to the drawing board with... uh, my wife and I'm like, okay, we got to totally like flip the script and we got to make it way more bold. And I need to up my confidence level. Cause 
uh, the character I play on the the digital dessert, it's kind of like a a faux confidence with a little bit of nervousness. Yeah. <laughs> but to compete with TJ Miller, I thought I'd kind of have to up my confidence level because he's a high octane dude and fully capable of steamrolling any interview. And by the way, he has a track record of doing that with morning show hosts. Mm-hmm. If you check YouTube. There's like all these skits where he basically he has this bit where he pretends like he's drinking water and spills it all over himself and spits all over. It's like his classic bit. He actually did it to Ben Mulroney on your morning, which you can see on the Instagram. Right. So, I, you know, I'm kind of uh, overly worried about the T.J. Miller one. And I don't want to offend him because he's a big celebrity and he's a comedic kind of genius who started his career in improv. So I'm overly stressed about this one, and I was super worried about the Max one, who has none of those comedic qualities. So I want to get to the place where we're shooting about 20 minutes beforehand so I can set up the fart machine. (laughs) Because uh, (laughs) as you know, you've seen the bit, and I, I had a plan where when TJ's talking, I was going to deploy a fart machine. So... At home, when I practiced with the fart machine, I found that it had its best, most realistic fart noise when it was had a cushion underneath it. So we get to the area where we're presuming TJ is going to sit, and I put the fart machine under a cushion that's sitting nearby on the couch. <laughs> and I hit the fart machine like the detonator that it's a, a portable remote control that I carry in my hand. <laughs> when I hit it, you can barely hear the fart noise in the room for some mm. reason. And I'm like... TJ might not even be able to hear this. He's going to be talking so loudly over it. So I'm like, I'm going to have to hide the fart machine somewhere in the open. Then I noticed there's a bunch of picture frames kind of above where TJ is going to be sitting. So I'm like, perfect. I'm just going to tuck it in perfectly behind the picture frame. And I'm asking Webmaster Dan's there and Mike are there. And they're like, oh, are you sure that's the best spot for it? (laughs) I'm like, I'm sure. I'm like, what do you guys think? They're like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, trust me, guys, I'm confident in this placement. (laughs) Mike's like, that fart machine better not go off when I'm interviewing. I go, it won't. He's like, how do you know? I go, because I have a detonator in my hand and I'll keep it away from me during the interview. It won't go off. (laughs) So TJ walks in and I, you know, nervously, like my hands are sweating like crazy because I'm just trying to memorize everything I'm going to say. I'm so worried about, I just shake his hand like a nerd and kind of just sit down out of the way. Because in a way, even my nervousness, I'm trying to disarm him even more when I actually do kind of spring this confident character on him. So as the whole interview's going on, I'm just, you know, going over my lines. And then Mike says, last question. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, it's almost game time for old Shaney boy. (laughs) And then uh, TJ starts answering this really, like, uh, he gets kind of in a more serious mood and starts giving a really serious answer to Mike's question. All of a sudden, there's a crash, and the fart machine has knocked over the picture frames that were over TJ's head, and the the frame has hit TJ in the head. So so instead of being worried about, like, you'd think I'm like, oh, f*** it hit TJ, that's... That's really bad. It could have hurt him. I'm just like, shit, now the fart machine is fully exposed. So I don't know what to do. So I just walk over to TJ like I'm Mike's assistant and I just stick my hand out and TJ comments like, what the f*** just happened? Is that because things got serious or something like that? And then he hands me 
the picture frame and I just take it, put it away. And then Mike can sense that, you know, this is weird. If the fart machine is exposed, this is going to be bad for Shane's whole bit. And Mike just witnessed the day before me kind of implode during a, a digital dessert that went wrong. <laughs> I definitely didn't want him to see the fart machine just because I knew how lovingly and painstakingly you had crafted that bit. Well, yeah. And and like I was saying, when it goes bad, it's, it's really uncomfortable. So, and you know, like, hey, yeah, we screwed it up with Max a little bit, but this is TJ Miller. Yeah. If we bomb this bit, it's going to be a bad reflection on you also. Sure. So if he had seen a fart machine and he might just say, what the f*** is that? I don't want to do a bit where an interviewer is using a fart machine. Yeah. Like comedy aside, but once we ended up doing, <laughs> he rolled with it and he was very generous with his time and extremely nice afterwards. What was, uh, yeah, tell me what he was like after because like you, you, if you watch the bit, you could tell he's like pretty thrown off and he's trying to be real with you. He's like, a second ago, you're just a nice normal guy. <laughs> yeah. Now you're acting like a psychopath. What, what the hell is going on? What, what was he like afterward? It's kind of funny because it's like there's TJ when he arrives, which is its whole thing and then you do the whole interviews and then there's TJ after and he sort of came in like off the top. Like we don't know what to expect. Like, like Shane says, you watch the other interviews, you know what he's kind of like. Uh, energy wise and sort of like, you know, his willingness to steamroll an interview or take control. And he's doing this whole press tour. So he comes in, he's got a lot of energy and he's kind of like, it's sort of, it's his natural, uh, I think disposition to just sort of like take over the room. So then for me as the interviewer, cause I'm going first, it's like, you got to try and wrangle that a little bit and find out the spots to jump in, you know? And so this was kind of one of the more challenging ones just because it's like, Oh, you know, he comes in and the first thing he sees is this um, we work, which is like this kind of business office. You'll hear about this in the interview. And he sort of decides to start threading throughout these callbacks to it. Mm. So it really took me like 10, 15 minutes to even get around to like getting into a real conversation. But then we finally settled in. And then that's when uh, the fart machine knocked over the the, the, the picture frame <laughs> and almost uh, concussed TJ Miller. <laughs> and then Shane does his whole bit. And then afterward, afterwards, he just said, man, that was hilarious. <laughs> and it was so it was so f flattering that he said that I almost wanted to keep it in the bit be just because I want people to see that. But it does ruin the illusion of the awkwardness a little bit that TJ went along yeah, with it. I think it. you ended it at the right spot. I think I think it was good. I think I think people come to the pod to peel back the onion, but people come to the digital dessert, you know, to be to be charmed and and, and shocked. And I think an, enough people know that it's a a shtick. At least that's my hope. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was it was really good. Also, I love the idea of of anybody watching that interview that you did with him, and then also this idea that you were like cramming and studying different fart noises and rehearsing <laughs> the questions for like hours on end. Like those two things next to each other are hilarious. So, TJ Miller on the road right now uh, with the Just for Laughs tour. Go online, find the dates, go see uh, TJ Miller, man. Um, and I think right now we're gonna get to the interview. You guys want to get to it? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. So far, noise. Yeah. <laughs> Stand up at an adult summer camp. You had to pick up the mic for that one. Um, yeah, it was this really strange thing where they hired me, and I think the weekend. He does stand up it's, now. It's one of yeah. It's one of, and and I'm also doing cool pop hip hop. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, so these guys hired me, and it was for WeWork, and I had never heard of it. I didn't I didn't know anything about it. 
But they're one of these tech companies that's probably valued at like a hundred million, and they haven't gone public or anything. That's sure. Um, basically, what the show I used to be on makes fun of, <laughs> and um, they were all like partying really hard, and I was drinking with them, and you know we smoked a little bit, and then one of the dudes, these guys were the nicest guys. Um, one of the dudes explained to me what it was, which is essentially just a shared office space with free Red Bull. And he sort of explained it. And then he was like, you got to hear the story of the name. And then all of his buddies were like, tell them the story. Tell them the story about how we named it WeWork, right? <laughs> so they're all just jazzed up. And his whole, you know, crew was like, tell it, tell it, tell it. And he goes, so we were partying really hard one night. And, and he points this one guy, I, I don't know his you know, name necessarily, but he was like, and Jake. So Jake passes out before all of us, right? So we're all partying, we're staying up, because they those guys really know how to have a good time. They're like, so we were all like still hanging out, partying, and then all of a sudden Jake just like comes out of a, a deep sleep and he's like, <gasps> and he goes, what do we do? We love, we play, we work, we work. <laughs> And then there was this like pause yeah. for me to be like, yeah! <laughs> and it just didn't come because I still, I realized that, you know, I do this all the time. I, I do shows, I do, I do movies that I haven't read the script, you know, for them. Uh, the only script I read was Unstoppable, I think. Nowadays they don't even let you, but I, so I, I realized I didn't understand even after he explained it, what it was. So the story was basically just like about how they came up with the worst name in the world. <laughs> and they were so jazzed for me to be like, that's an amazing story. And it was not, but every single month I see another WeWork space popping up and I'm like, I guess it worked. They're doing it, man. I guess we work. I guess we love, we play, we party, we work. Did you give them the response they wanted, though, in that moment? No, I just was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Also, everybody's so high, so it's like they weren't offended. They just thought maybe I was too high to, like, get what a great story it was. Yeah. But it was just, it was so Silicon Valley. You know I mean? They hired me because I was from Silicon Valley because they were, again, a tech company that didn't get that we're making fun of them. But instead, they're they're one of the many companies that is like, uh, yeah, finally, people are, like, doing a show about our lives. (laughs) We're the most important thing that's going on right now. We're being represented, man. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they had that kind of, I don't know, they had that air to the whole experience but it was really funny and it was outdoors you know occasionally i do stand up this is why this tour is going to be so great because it's appropriate venues but occasionally they'll book a stand-up and they don't understand anything about stand-up sure so it was like on an outdoor stage two people that were just like standing in the mud because it had been raining and i was supposed to like you know put on a great set and all i did was just improvise Kind of like what I'll do here, which is just each show is different because so much of it is riffing and talking about the crowd and the situation and all that stuff. But that was mostly just me being like, this is a terrible situation. But it was really, it was, it was actually, what a fun thing. They rented out a camp right as all the kids left. Yeah. And so they asked, they basically, they pay for the counselors, the camp counselors to stay on and all the staff, and then they invite everybody who's a member of WeWork 
anybody, anybody who's involved um, gets to come and do this party for free and see, like, big acts and play tug-of-war while they're shit-faced. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it was really something. So for this tour, like you're saying, you're going out and you're winging it a lot and you're just sort of improvising. Yeah, and I mean, I think, too, this is... I've worked in Edmonton for, I don't know, almost 10 years. And, uh, but I've never been to Winnipeg. I have a joke about Calgary. And I've never <laughs> been to Calgary. Uh, the joke is that everybody in Canada makes fun of everyone in Edmonton and everyone in Edmonton makes fun of everyone in Calgary and everyone in Calgary is drunk and doesn't care what anybody says about <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. And, but I've never actually been there. And then Ottawa, um, which is sort of the first city on the tour, um, I've had like three or four friends that are stand-up comics be like, I love that city. You've got to go to Elgin Diner and we're this. And somebody else texts me and goes, ask for the mushroom gravy. So, you know, it's really fun that I get to go to these cities that other people have been to and loved. And this is my first time sort of touring all of Canada. Because I've performed, well, I work in Vancouver because that's where we do Deadpool's. Yeah. And um, Toronto is Kate and my favorite city in Canada. And so I've worked here a couple times. And I did Goon 2 with my buddy Jay Baruchel. Yeah. And uh, and then Montreal is like the Montreal Just for Laughs thing. But it's, it's weird because I really know the West Edmonton Mall, like the back of my hand. <laughs> I can tell you exactly where the spaghetti factory is in relationship to the Sephora. Yeah. And... Um, you know, so I, I've been... Have you gone on the roller coaster Canada. there? Yeah, of course, and I've ziplined, haven't you? I've done the bungee jumping at the water park. Can you even believe it? And yeah. I've seen a killer whale eat a fish out of a woman's hand and then walked into a pack sun and bought a T-shirt. <laughs> Edmonton, man. That's crazy there. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. I've been doing so much terrestrial radio. Every time I almost curse, I'm like, it's... F and Canada. Yeah, on this one, you can swear as much as you like. Thank God, I can say the C word. You absolutely Canadian. Can. Canadian. So, okay, so, like, I guess one of the questions I want to get to was about the idea of, because you do so much stuff, stand-up, acting, writing, how do you creatively sort of divide When someone the wears all denim, is that yes. a Canadian tuxedo? this is very Canadian. I was anticipating you might ask. A Canadian tuxedo. It is, right? Yeah. I mean, you are I went dark denim. fucking denim, though. Even your shirt is denim. But denim, but the, the coat is light denim. It doesn't matter. It's all denim. Yeah, that's true. Which is not a negative thing. I think that's bold. It's just a fact. I'm wearing Abraham Lincoln socks. That's true. As an apology to your country. Interesting. <laughs> Things have been better. You're a political guy. Not really. I'm sort of an apolitical guy who's very philosophical, and I had this social mission that is now being obstructed by a political problem. So you have to become a political person in some no, ways. No, I mean, I think what I've really realized is, even on this tour, it's it, people, it's almost, it's, I've just, I've understood this as I performed in Ireland and all of the United States is that, you know, we're actually kind of saying, like, tear your face away from these screens that are just constantly telling you horrible things and come and see a live stand-up show, and the stand-up is going to be funny. It's just, it's going to be about being funny. It's not going to be about how to... If anything, I have one bit called Donald J. Grump, which is about how everyone is unhappy and happy and... Everybody is kind of a lonely, scared human being that wants to have some sort of legacy or have the attention, you know, be positive instead of negative. And that's not really even talking about American politics. That's just talking about what it is to be a human being and, and trying to get people to have perspective. Because it's a weird thing, too, where I was talking to Kate right before I came here. 
It's a weird thing too, where you know, it's just it's just such a dark time, and there's so little that's funny about it that the best thing I can do right now is just have people like laugh and do ten minutes on cats. And have people be like, that's like my cat. Sure. Because as soon as they leave, a lot of them are going to open up that news app and just want to kill themselves. How much do you consume news? Do you have like every day? Are you looking at it or are you trying to avoid it? You know, we've been trying to... I'm I'm really big into this offline October thing that was started in Denver, which is where I'm from. Yeah. And... You know, so we've started to toy with the idea of kind of, it's tough. It's like my business requires social media, but my personal life, like all of ours, is being kind of shredded by it. But I think that, um, you know, every couple days I'll sort of dive in. And then what really sucks is like on this press day and yesterday, everywhere you go, because I'll do like eight to ten hours of press a day, every single green room that you're in, has a television yeah. playing nonstop coverage. In fact, one of the places that we went, I did a morning show, and in the back there was a huge TV screen with, like, every single news outlet. Yeah. And it just was, like, murder, murder, sexual harassment, murder, terrorism. You know, Donald Trump said this thing, did this thing, that thing. And it was it was a weird tableau of why none of that is necessarily helping at all. You know, it was like seeing this uh, mosaic of kind of the fear mongering that's happening, uh, mostly out of fear. You right. Know? And so I think a lot of comedians, the more comedians I talk to, I'll say, you know, Sarah Silverman or someone, I'll say, well, you know, what are you doing? Even Polly Shore, I saw at a party and I was like, because he still travels and he actually mostly does red states. Interesting. And I said, you know, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. I mean, it just, everyone is kind of like, I don't know quite how to talk about this yet. So we've been taking different angles, trying to do different stuff. Um, but, but I think, you know, a lot of people kind of welcome the ephemeral escapism that we're bringing to the table. And also this tour is called the alternative tour. Um, which really it's JFL, so it should be called the mainstream alternative. Yeah. But it's, you know, we're also providing a lot of silliness. You know, it's very silly. Reese Darby is very silly. Nick Vaderot is one of the funniest working comedians today and very, very nonsensical. And then that's a good portion of what I do while still being observational, philosophical, all the stuff that you're used to when you come and see a comedy show. Well, how do you decide to do a tour like this? Are you like, I want to do stand-up again and I find JFL? Or do they approach you and say, hey, do you want to do all of Canada? What are the mechanics like? I mean, JFL came to me and sort of said, we want to do this alternative tour and we think that you could be the marquee name because you're a lunatic (laughs) and you also do stand-up comedy. And I had left Silicon Valley to do more stand-up, and so we wouldn't even be in the room. I would be on set today if I had sort of stayed and continued to do that show on autopilot. But instead, and, you know, there's a lot of people in my position that would be like, "Ah, I just want to stay in New York. I'll do stand-up at night when I decide to and hang out with my wife. But two days ago, I kissed Kate goodbye and said, I hate to leave you, but I love that it's for Canada. And she loves Toronto, so she's coming up Saturday night, I think, just to, like, hang and be here. And, um, you know, I just, I haven't been to Hamilton. I, hey, I, that's I where we're from. Red Deer, really? Yeah, awesome. man. Born and, and raised. And, and so that's, you know, that's great, because I, I just haven't ever 
been to there. Whereas in the United States, I play Appleton, Wisconsin, Omaha, Nebraska. I play like the Dakotas and stuff like, but in addition to the, the larger cities. And so this will just be a good, and we, we've never had a bad audience in Canada. I've had audiences that didn't love what I was doing because it was very strange to them on that evening and they were very drunk. Um, But that doesn't mean that we didn't walk away from that being like, all right, I'm going to try and tailor it a little bit more, you know, next time I come into contact with an audience like this. But I would say that's one out of 10 times, nine out of 10. Everybody is there to have a great time. There's, we always say Canadian hecklers are too polite to be called hecklers because they'll be like, Hey, you f-ing suck, sir, and thank you for coming. Like, it's like they, you know, you. We can't. appreciate your time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And also, I just think Canadians have a real sense of humor about themselves that other countries don't necessarily. Like Ireland was very like, talk about us, talk about how different we are, talk about how friendly we are. Canadians are just sort of happy if you tease them about being Canadian or if you're talking about, which I'll do at every single city, if you're talking about what your experience was that day, they just, they're apt to be able to laugh at themselves, which a lot of Americans are not able to do. Right. People in the United States aren't always, San Francisco does not think it's funny when you make fun of San Francisco. (laughs) Well, you talk about going out on the road, which is like, it takes a lot of work ethic to like do a tour like this. Yeah. I think with creatives, whether Let's it's like, hear that. Yeah. yeah. What, you know, with creatives, whether it's music or comedy or anything, I think people get into it because shit is fun at first. And then at some point you hit a moment where it becomes a career or a professional or you have to have a work ethic that sort of supersedes the fun of it. Was there a moment where you were like, oh shit, this is going to be a career and I have to sort of have a certain amount of ambition? I think right after this interview. Was That's that the moment, moment when it's going to happen? No, no. I, um, I, you know, I don't know. Like Kate said to me this morning, because we were sort of talking about how, you know, it's, if somebody doesn't mention it, all the press that I've done, they're sort of waiting to figure out if there's a time to dive into how terrible things are south of here. Okay. And... Kate was kind of like, why are you there? Why do you have to do this? Not not like you shouldn't be there, but just like, why is this happening? We're not together. You know, you're kind of doing press nonstop. And, and I kind of said, because that's sort of, everybody has to go to work. We work. We love, we live, we work. <laughs> we work. But, you know, you yeah, you got to go to work. I mean, I you know, I, I sort of... I always think about how I used to work at McDonald's and Radio Shack and as a legal secretary, which is a very masculine job. They let me wear skirts on Fridays. It, you know, you got to go to work. You got to wake up and you got to go to work. And what's lucky about this job is that although it's really hard and the traveling is very, very grueling, um, every time you do a show that people love, it's just totally worth it. It's You can't possibly look back at it and be like, why did I do that? It's just, you've got, you know, if you've got hundreds of people going home kind of giggling and then maybe in the next couple of days when they're at work and they're doing their nine to five thing, if they sort of remember a joke and laugh. I have this joke about um, uh, when you wash your hands, you're supposed to sing happy birthday because that's the amount of time it takes to hygienically clean your hands. And I do that every single time. But whenever I'm the only person in a public restroom and somebody else walks in, it just looks like I'm having the saddest birthday ever. <laughs> and I have a lot of people that are like, every time I wash my hands, that makes me laugh. 
because I think about you alone in a restroom being like, happy birthday to you, and somebody else walking in and be like, you're the first one to show up to my party. Sorry, it smells like shit. Like, it's yeah. like, you know, so that's that's kind of, that's the objective. Just like, you know, I did, Transformers 4 was not an easy film to do for a number of reasons. Did you read the script for that one? Uh, I did not. Okay. And uh, I don't even think they allowed me to. And, uh, but I had a guy, I was like walking in Malibu for a wedding where Kumail Nanjiani was there. It was for a buddy of ours named Pete Holmes. So I was just like walking, you know, we live in New York now, so it's very different. Los Angeles, they'll sort of say, like, I'm like, how far away is it? Like, it's like five minutes by car. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll just walk there. And they look at you like you're joking. Yeah. They're like, okay. And so I did, I tried to walk to this place and it was like a 45 minute walk because they all minimize how long you're going to be in your car there. And I was just sweltering heat and I had worn like, well, denim and that's always <laughs> good in hot weather. And uh, I showed up and I was getting Mucinex for my wife, which is hilarious because I'm the Mucinex man, but it is the best product on the market and we are breaking into Canada. But... Um, you know, at the, I, I was like so just dying of heat. And I stopped in, in front of the CVS pharmacy. And this dude who was like, you know, doing basically maintenance, he was emptying the trash and, and sweeping up around this pharmacy, came up to me. He's like, Are you the guy from Transformers 4? And I said, Yeah. He's like, Oh, that, I love that. That's my favorite Transformers. And so I don't look back on that movie and go, oh, that was such a pain in the ass. And there were so many horrible days and it was sweltering and awful. And I was being screamed at and this, that, I don't think about that at all. I just think about that dude being like, oh, that's, that movie's so funny. And I got to meet the dude from that movie. And then later, remember this in California, later I saw him at a dispensary when I was buying marijuana and I like bought him a couple of joints. I was like, I'm so glad you like Transformers. So now he has this story that the guy who was screaming all the time in Transformers 4 bought him weed. And that's just, he'll have that story forever. And so that's so awesome. I just did this movie with Kristen Stewart and Vincent Cassel, the coolest man in all of France. And it was, was called Underwater. And we're in these huge suits. And they my suit weighed 110 pounds. And you know, I passed out from dehydration several times. Like, it was a nightmare to make this film. Kristen Stewart would enter the makeup trailer and, and the first thing she would be like, fuck this movie, fuck my life, fuck all of this. But at the end of every single day, she was like, I think we got great stuff today. This is going to be a great movie. And that that's just the mentality that you have to have. And if you don't, then you're both fucking yourself over and you're probably not, like altruistically motivated you're probably not doing this for the audience you're doing it for yourself well you mentioned work so you mentioned doing these jobs hey we work. we work we work we work but that's why some people have trouble wrapping their head around leaving something like silicon valley maybe because it's like that's a gig so like when you leave something like that when it's like hey i gotta do the job i'm out on the road what makes that different and why are people having such a, a tough time sort of maybe understanding that well i'd argue that it was less of a gig, it had stability, but it it was going to be, like this season, it was just going to be a paycheck. And I just don't care about money. I mean, it's it's partly because I'm the mother f***ing Mucinex man, <laughs> but it's, it's also because 
I just think the second that you start being motivated by money is the second that it just all falls apart. House of Cards reference, something like that. And, you know, this was an opportunity for me to, instead of kind of sleepwalking through another season of this character that I felt was becoming superfluous to the show. Sure. Um, to just get into stand-up. And, you know, I I produced this show called Gore Burger. My sketch comedy group, Heavyweight, has a show on Laughly right now that's really funny. And Nick Vatterot is actually in that sketch group. And, you know, I'm a stand-up comic. I think it's important to kind of... I, I think I'm a really, really good comic, but, after, you know, a tour like this helps make you become a great comic. And um, and it was also just, you know, my wife is this kind of famous underground mixed media artist, like in New York and Los, or I mean in London and New York. And me being in Los Angeles for six months just wasn't, that didn't fit into the value system of, you know, wanting to be supportive to my wife, wanting to be a New York stand-up comedian. And then I was just interrupting production schedule with, you know, I would work five days out of the week and then go do stand-up in other cities on Saturday and Sunday. And if Sunday the flight was delayed or canceled, then Monday it would fuck with production schedule. And so I also wanted to stop doing that because I just, I have four movies coming out and I'm just doing more film and that already cuts into the stand-up and producing television and you know, producing this movie that I wrote. And there's just so much right now that I had to kind of hit the brakes on something. And the thing that Kate always says is she quotes this David Bowie thing where it's like an artist is always at their best when they're just far enough out into the ocean that their feet are barely touching the ground. And so I just said to her, I go, what is the most stable thing that we can eliminate and what would create the most chaos for us? And it was leaving, like, one of the most successful television shows of the last decade. And I I also think that's interesting. You know, I think it's going to change the show. I thought it was an interesting thing. It kind of broke the internet also because I did, like, an authentic exit interview. And people are like, they just didn't quite know what to do with that. And they also didn't understand that I was sort of f***ing with the press a little bit. Because I was so upset after the election that I wanted to figure out you know, this guy can stay in the news cycle just by saying crazy shit. And so you kind of can't escape him. And, oh, my God, that something just fell on me that it felt like God was like, uh, stop talking. Yeah, that was him. that. And that's a perfect time to wrap it. I know, I know right, right. <laughs> At least it wasn't something heavier. There yeah. Heavier things. But, yeah, I mean, you know, your question is right that, that people, I think a lot were like, why why would you do that? Why and I guess it was because it was the least obvious choice and because I just I didn't want to be that guy that's like I'll stay on this television show for 7 seasons and then own a boat or something like that just isn't interesting to me. I would rather perform at the Comedy Cellar or the Stand or the New York Comedy Club for $32 cash, you know, 5 times in one night and walk home with like a couple hundred bucks cash and totally exhausted, but Kate's there when I get home and I've made, you know, a ton of people laugh. I'd rather do that than, you know, a television show that pays a lot and takes me away from this relationship with this woman who's the coolest person I've ever met, you know? Yeah, man. So that was that.
Is there a certain level, though, you need to live at money? I think the, the difficulty people have is because it's so hard for people to find work or have their dreams come true. And in their vision of well, what we maybe work. an artist Gotta wants, work. we work. <laughs> in their mind. The more I joke about it, the more it's a great idea and a better story. Keep going. I like that retroactively those guys have now won you over with their amazing I know, I'm story. liking it just because of this interview. Yeah. Um, what were you saying? Sorry. A certain level sort of monetarily you have to live at. So it's like you're like, I can walk away. And as a stand-up, you can always work, essentially, right? You'll always sort of have the yeah, gauge. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the other thing is that I have never really felt like a part of Hollywood. I always sure. thought I've kind of hoodwinked Hollywood into employing me as an actor because I'm not a very good actor. But I work really, really, really hard, you know, as an actor, as a comedian, as all those things. And so it really, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think... You know, it would be one thing if I was like, I'm leaving this because, actually, I don't know. I think even now it doesn't quite make sense, but it was absolutely the right decision. And, you know, in in some ways I kind of left a cake situation for a much, much harder thing, you know, which is touring and doing stand-up um, because that's the kind of person I am. I'm just not a dude who's going to, like, collect the money. And, you know, I I love Josh Brolin to death, but when he's not working, he's surfing in Venice. And that's just not me. When I'm not working, I'm working because we work. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you, man. Welcome to the dessert. Today it is just me and our pop culture aficionado Shane Christian Cunningham here because uh, Max is on the road currently with uh, his band. As you know from earlier in the show, he's in Cincinnati. So it's just me and you, Shane. What do you got? Um, not a ton, actually. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. <laughs> the, the song just kicks in. I was actually, I was feeling better because when you and I came in to record off the top we yeah. without Max... And we were just sitting here, and it was like, all right, there's lots of stuff happened. And you were like, I just don't know what. I can't think of the, the right element to start off the top. And then once you started, we got something cooking. And I was like, maybe I can do something like that in the dessert, which is kind of like an <laughs> improv thing. You know, I just we just came off the T.J. Miller episode, and he's kind of like an in improv expert. Uh, but some topics here. Um, and I can explain why I'm derailed a little bit. Okay. But I, I recently s saw my ultrasound of my child-to-be. Hey! First time. That's exciting. Yeah. Was... You didn't post it, though. No, I think we're waiting to see if, so like, there's these tests you run to see if it's, uh, if something's going to be wrong with it or not. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't, Alex told me not to share it yet. Okay. Like, publicly, beyond this podcast. <laughs> <that> is... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's funny, but I'm just laughing in an awkward yeah. way, of course. She's watching our numbers. She knows it's low enough that no one's going to hit. <laughs> yeah. We have a higher following on Instagram yeah. than we do on this podcast. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was it was kind of a, a scary thing because one of the big things I'm worried about is the, the child, for some reason, I have this rational fear. It's, not, it's actually a very rational fear of the child having a big nose. And then in the ultrasound the kid has a big nose <laughs> it's like all nose i'm gonna show you mike oh okay like, let's see this just wait let me flip through i don't want you to see one of my nudies okay <laughs> <laughs> look 
<laughs> okay. Like, does, that, does that not seem prominent? There's a nose there, yeah. Like, that's weird. I didn't know it could develop that early. Yeah, man. Wow, that's a baby. That's exciting. Yeah. That's crazy. What's that disco ball above the baby? That's its nose. <laughs> <laughs> that's a continuation of the nose. No, I think uh, I actually know nothing about the human body or especially a woman's body. So I'm not sure what is in there. But yeah, yeah it definitely looks like a ball of some sort. Like a disco. It's like the baby's boogieing under the disco yeah. ball. So there was that. Yeah. Which was exciting. That is. And, uh, I got excited seeing that. Yeah. So in honor of that, Alex actually got me a gift. Wow. Which I kind of screwed up and I hate this, but, <laughs> but you know, like I have a, obviously a litany of personality defects and this is one of my worst one is that I get caught up into things. But like, you know, more than anyone, if I'm going swimming, I really, you know, get wet. Like, <laughs> like I'll be in there all day. It's yeah. Pool, yeah. Proverbial pool. And I almost ignore everything else that's going on. So the TJ Miller digital dessert just posted yeah. and I'm all over it. I'm like checking out Reddit comments or replying to Reddit comments, seeing if anyone on YouTube has seen it. Friends are texting me about it. I'm texting them back. And Alex picks me up from work every day, my wife. She's trying to talk to me, but I'm zoning out and doing kind of an annoying habit where I'm pretending I'm listening. But really, I'm kind of looking at my phone and watching like a comment. <laughs> and someone, somebody commented, I very much enjoyed this. And I was like, yeah, like finally someone I don't know commented on the YouTube clip. Yeah. And I'm all excited. And then I'm like, okay, I'm listening to Alex tell her story. And then seconds later, there's another comment goes up and I look at my phone and it said, this interviewer seems like an absolute c so, <laughs> and I'm the interviewer in this digital dessert. <laughs> you know, and part of the one of the good things about not being famous, in my view, is that when comments come in, I have enough time and there's not enough comments where they can kind of blend in right. where I can actually individually respond. And I really don't like trolls with internet trolls people who just have no other goal than to say the negative thing about the video in the worst meanest way possible right if you have something to say at least make it constructive in some way so i i simply say be nice i'm not like i'm not a cunt right <laughs> of course not of course not, Mike just <laughs> not <inside>. <laughs> <laughs> no of course not i got you so then, then I'm like, okay, that's that issue closed. And at this point, Alex and I are home. And then another message comes in and the guy's like, well, I just felt you were disrespectful to TJ Miller. And I'm like, this guy's calling, he, he calls me a cunt because he thinks I'm disrespectful. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to go upstairs right now and just lose it on, on the internet. But Alex is still trying to talk to me as all this is running through my mind. And I'm talking to myself, coming up with comments to say to him. She's like, what are you doing? You're home. Relax. I go, I, I'd love to, Alex, but I really have to go up and do some due diligence here and, and fight this internet troll. Because this is one thing I'm passionate about. And the last thing a troll thinks is going to happen is that the person who's in the video is going to confront them. And it kind of scares the troll when you respond. Sure. But Alex goes, oh, wait, I have a gift for you. 
And I go, what is it? As I'm angrily walking up the stairs, she goes, a gift. I go, I don't have time for your games. Just give me the gift <laughs> or don't. Don't say, when you say you have a gift, and I say, what is it? Don't say, a gift, all cutesy. And she's being, like, so lovable and so cutesy. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, it's a little crunchy bar, like some Halloween arrows that have been left over from trick-or-treating. <laughs> I think it's like, most of the time when someone says, I have a gift, it's some treat, right? Sure. Like, it's still tasty, but not when you got a troll on your ass. <laughs> I just love the Harrison Ford. I don't have time for your games. <laughs> so then she gives me a hat that I'm wearing right now. Yeah. What does it, it say? Oh, this is the best, man. We got to get a photo of this. It says Papa Culture. Yeah, it's a pretty cool hat and a thoughtful gift. How did I not even notice that? We've been talking about Did you just put this on before we no, recorded? I've been wearing it all day. I totally missed yeah. it. Man, I'm the cunt now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Man, that's awesome. That's an amazing gift. Yeah. So, obviously, I'm like melted at that point and I'm just like, oh man, I'm like, this gift is great. But now she's fired up. She's like, no, no, go, go write, <laughs> go write your comments. <laughs> go forth. And I'm like, okay. I, and then so I just go upstairs and I start, you know, <laughs> crafting a message, like how I overthink everything. While wearing your Papa Culture hat? While I'm wearing the Papa Culture hat. And then I call Alex up to help me edit it because I don't know how to like read and write. <laughs> so Alex comes up to like kind of, kind of help me. But she's still being cold with me. And then I'm like, oh, come on, let, let's make up or whatever. And she's like, well, okay, it starts talking. But then I notice that this guy has replied to my comment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, out, get out of the room. So I'm being this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, which is really unfair to be to someone. <laughs> and anyway, I ended up going back and forth. There's 10 comments now on this post. And me and this guy. Wow. Went, Are you replying from Shane? Master 83, actually. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Your new handle? Because you have a history of just replying from Mike God Butch to people like Eddie Delisepe or other uh, beefs yeah, you have on the internet. I, I usually hit them from as many social platforms as I can. Hey, man, you're the pop of culture. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to TJ Miller for uh, coming on the pod, doing the, the, the long-form interview, and then also Shane's Digital Dessert. Please check that out online. You can find us at Mike Much on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you to Jenna Gregory, Tara Pacat for doing all of the artwork for us. The Mike Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.